This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. That's L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X dot org. Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne. Chapter 13, in which Passepartout receives a new proof that fortune favors the brave. The project was a bold one, full of difficulty, perhaps impracticable. Mr. Fogg was going to risk life, or at least liberty, and therefore the success of his tour. But he did not hesitate, and he found in Sir Francis Cromarty an enthusiastic ally. As for Passepartout, he was ready for anything that might be proposed. His master's idea charmed him. He perceived a heart, a soul under that icy exterior, began to love Phileas Fogg. There remained the guide. What course would he adopt? Would he not take part with the Indians in default of his assistance? It was necessary to be assured of his neutrality. Sir Francis frankly put the question to him. Officers, replied the guide, I am a Parsi, and that woman is a Parsi. Command me as you will. Excellent, said Mr. Fogg. However, resumed the guide, it is certain not only that we should risk our lives, but horrible torture if we are taken. This is foreseen, replied Mr. Fogg. I think we must wait till night before acting. I think so, said the guide. The worthy Indian gave some account of the victim who he said was a celebrated beauty of the Parsi race, and that daughter of a wealthy Bombay merchant, she had received a thoroughly English education in that city, and from her manners and intelligence would be thought an European. Her name was Iota. Left an orphan, she was a married against her will to the old Raha of Bundklad, and knowing the fate that awaited her, she escaped, was retaken, and devoted by the Raja's relatives, who had an interest in her death, the sacrifice from which it seemed she could not escape. The Parsi's narrative only confirmed Mr. Fogg and his companions in their genuine design. It was decided that the guide should direct the elephant towards the pagoda of Pelagia, which he accordingly approached as quickly as possible. They halted half an hour afterwards in a copse some five hundred feet from the pagoda, where they were well concealed, but they could not hear the groans and cries of the fakers distinctly. They then discussed the means of getting at the victim. The guide was familiar with the pagoda of Filage, in which, as he declared, the young woman was imprisoned. Could they enter any of its doors while its whole party of Indians was plunged into the darkness sleep? Or would it safer to attempt to make a hole in the wall? This could only be determined at the moment and place themselves. 
but it was certain that the abduction must be made that night, and not when, at break of day, the victim was led to her funeral pyre. Then no human intervention could save her. As soon as night fell, about six o'clock, they decided to make a reconnaissance around the pagoda. The cries of the fakirs were just ceasing. The Indians were in the act of plunging themselves into the drunkenness caused by liquid opium mingled with hemp, and it might be possible to slip between them to the temple itself. The Farsi, leading the others, noiselessly crept through the wood, and in ten minutes they found themselves on the bank of a small stream, whence, by the light of rosin torches, they perceived a pyre of wood, on the top of which lay the embalmed body of the Raha, which was to be burned with his wife. The pagoda, whose minarets loomed above the trees in the deepening dusk, stood a hundred steps away. Come, whispered the guide. He slipped more cautiously than ever through the bush. Followed by his companions, the silence around was only broken by the low murmuring of the wind among the branches. Soon the Parsi stopped on the borders of the glade, which was lit up by the torches. The ground was covered by groups of the Indians, motionless in their drunken sleep. It seemed to a battlefield strewn which the dead men women and children lay together in the background among the trees the pagoda of filija loomed distinctly much to the guide's disappointment the guards of the riaha lighted by torches were watching the, at the doors and marching to and fro with naked subres Probably the priests, too, were watching within. The Parsi, now convinced that it was impossible to force an entrance to the temple, advanced no further, but led his companions back again. Billy Fogg and Sir Francis Camarotti also saw that nothing could be attempted in that direction. They stopped and engaged in a whisper colloquy. It is only eight now, said the brigadier and these guards may also go to sleep. It is not impossible, returned the Parsi. They lay down at the foot of the tree, he waited. The time seemed long. The guide ever anon left them to take an observation on the edge of the wood, but the guards watched steadily by the glare of the torches, and a dim light crept through the windows of the pagoda. They waited till midnight, but no change took place among the guards, and it became apparent that their yielding to sleep could not be counted on. The other plan must be carried out. An opening in the walls of the pagoda must be made. It remained to ascertain whether the priests were watching by the side of their victim as assiduously as were the soldiers at the door. After the last consultation, the guide announced that he was ready for the attempt, 
and advancing followed by the others they took a roundabout way so as to get to the pagoda on the rear they reached the walls about half past twelve without having met anyone here there was no guard nor were there either windows or door the night was dark the moon on the wane scarcely left the horizon and was covered with heavy clouds the height of the trees deepened the darkness it was not enough to reach the walls and opening in them must be accomplished and to attain this purpose the party only had their pocket knives happily the temple walls were built of brick and wood which could be penetrated with little difficulty and after one brick had been taken out the rest would yield easily they set noiselessly to work and the parsi on one side and paspartout on the other began to loosen the bricks so as to make an aperture two feet wide they were getting on rapidly when suddenly a cry was heard in the interior of the temple followed almost instantly by other cries replying from the outside paspartout and the guide stopped had they been heard was the alarm given common prudence urged them to retire and they did so followed by phillies fogg and sir francis they again hid themselves in the wood and waited till the disturbance whatever it might be ceased holding themselves ready to resume their attempt without delay but awkwardly enough the guards now appeared at the rear of the temple and there installed themselves in readiness to prevent a surprise it would be difficult to describe the disappointment of the party thus interrupted in their work they could not now reach the victim how then could they save her sir francis shook his fists paspartout was beside himself and the guide gnashed his teeth with rage the tranquil fog waited without betraying any emotion we have nothing to do but to go away whispered sir francis nothing but to go away echoed the guide stop said fogg i'm only due at elabad tomorrow before noon but what can you hope to do said sir francis in a few hours it will be daylight and the change which now seems lost may present itself at the last moment sir francis would have liked to read phillies fogg's eyes what was this cool englishman thinking of was he planning to make a rush for the young woman at the very moment of the sacrifice and boldly snatch her from her executioners this would be utter fooly and it was hard to admit that fogg was such a fool sir francis consented however to remain to the end of this terrible drama the guide led them up to rear of the glad where they were able to observe the sleeping groups meanwhile paspartout who had perched himself on the lower branks of the trees was resolving an idea which had at first struck him like a flash and which was now firmly lodged in his brain he had commenced by saying to himself what folly and then he repeated 
Why not, after all? It's a chance, perhaps, the only one. And with such thoughts, thinking thus, he slipped with that soupless of a serpent to the lowest branches, the ends of which bent almost to the ground. The hours passed, and the lighter shades now announced the approach of day. Though it was not yet light, this was the moment the slumbering multitude became animated. The tambourine sounded, songs and cries arose. The hour of the sacrifice had come. The doors of the pagoda swung open, and the bright light escaped from its interior, in the midst of which Mr. Fogg and Sir Francis espied the victim. She seemed, having shaken off the stupor of intoxication, to be striving to escape from her executioner. Sir Francis' heart throbbed, and convulsively seizing Mr. Fogg's hand, found in it an open knife. Just as this moment the crowd began to move, this young woman had again fallen into a stupor caused by the fumes of hemp, and passed among the fakirs who escorted her with their wild religious cries. Phileas Fogg and his companions mingled in the rear ranks of the crowd, followed, and two minutes they reached the banks of the stream, and stopped fifty paces from the Pyrie, upon which still lay the Raja's corpse. In the semi-obscurity they saw the victim quite senseless, stretched out beside her husband's body. Then a torch was brought, and the wood, heavily soaked with oil, instantly took fire. At this moment, Sir Francis and the guide seized Phileas Fogg, who, in an instinct of mad generosity, was about to rush upon the Pyrie. But he had quickly pushed them aside when the whole scene suddenly changed. A cry of terror arose. The whole multitude prostrated themselves, terror-stricken on the ground. The old Raiha was not dead. Then, since he arose of a sudden, like a spectre, took up his wife in his arms, and descended from the Pyrie in the midst of cl clouds of smoke, which only heightened his ghostly appearance. Foikers and soldiers and priests, seized with instant terror, lay there with their faces on the ground, not daring to lift their eyes and behold such a prodigy. The inanimate victim was borne along by the vigorous arms which supported her, and which she did not seem in the least to burden Mr. Fogg and Sir Francis, stood erect. The Percy bowed his head, and Pispartu was, no doubt, scarcely less stupefied. The resuscitated Reha approached Sir Francis and Mr. Frog, and in an abrupt tone said, Let us be off. It was Pusparto himself who had slipped upon the Pyrie in the midst of the smoke, profited by the still overtaking darkness, had delivered the young woman from death. It was Pusparto who, playing his part with a happy audacity, had passed through the crowd amid the general terror. A moment after all four of the party had disappeared in the woods, and 
elephant was bearing them away at a rapid pace but the cries and noise and a ball which whizzed through philly's fog's hat apprised them that the trick had been discovered the old raja's body indeed now appeared upon the burning pyre and the priests recovered from their terror perceived that an abduction had taken place they hastened into the forest followed by the soldiers who fired a volley after the fugitives but the latter rapidly increased the distance between them and ere long found themselves beyond the reach of the bullets and arrows end of chapter 13 this has been a TBOL3 production